welcome to the weekly podcast of Covenant Grace Menifee. Each week, we gather to better understand the teachings of the Bible and how to live them out in our daily lives. We hope and pray that you're encouraged by this week's message. Super practical passage this morning. It's, uh, it's very likely that many in our midst need this. You may not know you need it until we go through it, but this topic of forgiveness is so vitally important. I want to have you guys pray with me. We're going to pray the Lord's Prayer. Let's pray together. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever. Amen. Father, that's the prayer of our hearts. That's the way your son Jesus has taught us to pray. And uh, Lord, we, as we think about those words, Lord, they are the cry of our hearts. Lord, we come before you as a father, as a song we just sang, our father who's in heaven. And we pray, Lord, that your name would be lifted up, Lord. We pray that your name would be lifted up in our lives, in our families, in our church, in our nation, Lord. We pray that you, your name would be hallowed. We pray that your kingdom would come, Lord. We know that there's coming a time when your kingdom will come fully on this earth and you'll make all things new. And we just pray, Lord, come quickly. We pray that you would do that. Even now, Lord, we pray that you would help us to be instruments of your kingdom, to be those who give love and hope and joy to people around us. We pray, Lord, that your will would be done, especially in our own lives, Lord. Start with us, and we pray that you would spread that out throughout the world. Lord, we pray that you would give us this day our daily bread, that we thank you so much for the ways you provided for our church, the people in our church during this difficult time. We just pray, Lord, you continue to provide that daily bread. We pray, Lord, that you continue to provide that daily bread in the form of your word, Lord, that you would make your word alive to us this morning, that we would be fed and nourished by your word and through the sacrament, through the Lord's Supper. We pray, Lord, that you would feed us. And we pray, Lord, also in the area of daily bread, we pray for those who are in our body, who are even right now at home uh, suffering with coronavirus. Lord, the, the people in our church that have it right now and are, are dealing with the, the effects of it, Lord, we pray that you would heal them. Lord, we pray that you'd strengthen them. Um, we pray, Lord, that you'd protect us from that. Lord, we pray that you'd heal it in our land. Father, we also pray, Lord, that you would forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lord, that's very pertinent to this morning, Lord. We pray that we would release everyone that's around us, everyone in our lives that, that should be released from this debt, Lord, of sinning against us, that we would forgive. Lord, teach us to forgive this morning. Make our hearts willing to hear your word in this area. And we pray, Lord, also lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil, Lord. We pray that we would stay far from temptation, Lord. We pray that you'd protect us from it. And we pray, Lord, that your kingdom would be our treasure, that Jesus himself would be the treasure of our hearts. And Lord, we pray that we would orient our whole lives around him. And all God's people said, amen. So this morning, we're going to, like I said, be in Matthew 18. So if you guys could turn there. We're in a series called Reunited. And we're talking about this series Reunited because we know that there's tons of forces culturally. There's tons of forces with current events, with coronavirus and things like that, that are, that are causing us to be more and more separated, uh, more and more separated physically, more and more separated um, relationally. A lot of people have gotten into all kinds of conflicts with people they know during this time, uh, whether there's political issues or, or whatever's going on. And so this morning, we're going to talk about one of the most powerful tools that God has given us to reunite us, and that tool is forgiveness. 
And this is a super practical, important thing because if you don't know how to forgive people, if you don't have the tools to do that, you're going to move from relationship to relationship. You're going to move from workplace to workplace. You're going to move from church to church because you just can't deal with other sin. And everyone's going to sin against you. You're probably well aware of this, but your friends will sin against you. Your spouse will sin against you. Your kids are going to sin against you. Your parents will sin against you. You get the idea. Coworkers, people in church will sin against you. I will sin against you if I haven't already. And I know a lot of Christians are like, oh man, I expected more from Christians. I can't believe that he would sin against me like that. It's like, why? We're sinners. This should not be a surprise. Christians of all people know what people are like. And we know that we're going to sin against one another. And so we should be realistic and we should be prepared. We should be prepared to forgive one another. We should be prepared to reconcile with one another. We should see conflict as an opportunity for the gospel. Should not be a church that's afraid of conflict. We should be a church that's prepared for conflict and sees it as an opportunity to display the gospel. And you'll understand more of what I mean in a moment. But our church exists, this is our statement, our church exists to display and declare the good news of Jesus for the glory of God and the joy of all people. That's a good statement, right? We exist to display and declare the, glory, the, the good news of Jesus for the glory of God and the joy of all people. And guys, forgiving one another is an excellent way to, dis- to declare and display the gospel. Amen? Forgiveness is an amazing way to do that. And when we don't do that, we deny the gospel. And when we do it, we show the gospel bright and clear for all to see. And guys, you realize that forgiveness is required of disciples of Jesus. It's required. We saw that in the Lord's Prayer, right? He puts it right in the middle of the Lord's Prayer where you're like having a good time praying and all of a sudden it's like, forgive me my debts. And you're like, yes, forgive me my debts. As I forgive my debtors. And you're like, ew. It's throughout. Jesus taught that it's required. And you guys realize that our world, our culture is not a forgiving culture. Okay? And we absorb those values. Forgiveness is actually offensive in our culture. You guys remember last year, Amber Geyer, um, who was the off-duty police officer that went home to, she said she thought it was her apartment. She went in there. There was uh, Botham Jean was in there as a 26-year-old accountant in his own home. She shot him, killed him. She said that she got confused and thought it was her apartment and thought he was an intruder. And during her sentencing, she was sentenced for 10 years, Botham Jean's brother, Brant, was allowed to make one of these victim impact statements. And I don't know if you've ever heard these before, but they're gut-wrenching always. And he said this to Amber uh, Geyer. He said this, If you truly are sorry, I can speak for myself, I forgive. And I know that God will forgive you if you ask him for forgiveness. And I didn't think uh, to say this, I wasn't planning on saying this, but I just want to say I love you like anyone else. I'm not going to say that I hope you rot and die, because that's not what my brother would have wanted. And I wasn't going to say this in front of my friends and family, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you, because I know that's what both of them would have wanted. And the best thing you could do is give your life to Christ. So this, in, this, in this courtroom. And the best thing you can do is give your life to Christ. I'm not going to say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the thing that both of them would have wanted for you. And again, I love you as a person. And I wish that nothing bad to happen to you. And I don't know if this is possible, but can I please hug her? <laughs> and they allowed that. And he went and he hugged her, this person that had shot his brother in his own house. And they said it was a hug heard around the world. And a lot of people saw that and responded just the way you guys did verbally, which is, that's an amazing act of forgiveness. But there were a lot of people in our culture that saw it as another injustice, as letting evil win. That he would forgive her is an act of letting evil win. Because our culture, guys, is a justice culture, not a forgiveness culture. 
And so it can be offensive. Forgiveness, real forgiveness. And you guys have seen that. You guys in marriage, maybe you've forgiven your spouse of some major sin that, that he's committed against you. And what do your friends say? Don't do that. Right? Our culture, it's controversial. But for Christians, guys, forgiveness is often not offensive, but optional. We think of forgiveness as optional. We think of forgiveness like, like he did as something that's not required of disciples. It's if you want to go above and beyond or if it's something you really feel like you can do or if you, you know, really aren't that hurt by the offense, then forgive. But it's optional. But guys, Jesus makes it very clear that forgiveness is not optional. We'll see that in this passage of Peter in verse 21. He says, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Seven times? And you're like, I love this guy, right? And Jesus says, I do not say seven times, but 77 times. And like I said, it's even in the Lord's prayer. Forgiveness is required of us as disciples. I know I start with the hard part, right? I was supposed to tell a story about a puppy and a boy and get you guys all softened up, but I didn't. I started right out of the gate with like an incredibly difficult demand of Jesus. But that's true, guys. So what is true forgiveness? How do I know if I've really forgiven somebody? Don't assume that you know. All of us assume we know what forgiveness is. We all assume that we do it. But very few people actually know what real forgiveness is. Forgiveness, guys, is a promise like the gospel is a promise. Ephesians 4, 32 says this, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. So if we think about like, what is forgiveness? What would it mean for me to forgive my spouse or a friend or someone in church? What would it take? It would be to forgive them as God and Christ forgave you. Super high standard, right? Our forgiveness is an imitation of the way God has forgiven us. And this is super helpful, guys, because our culture is very confused on what forgiveness is. People will say things like, oh, I'll forgive him, but I'll never forget. Well, you know, forgiveness doesn't imply forgetting, but the kind of not forgetting that you're saying is probably not a Christian forgiveness from that tone, right? Um, it's super helpful for us to see really clearly what forgiveness is. We're often confused about what forgiveness is. I mean, so often you hear Christians claim they've forgiven other people when it's really clear they haven't, okay? How many of you have been in that situation where somebody goes, oh, I forgive them? It's like, well, nothing here says you have, okay? And so we really need to be nailed down here on this. And what I'm going to do now is we're going to talk about what real forgiveness is, and you're going to feel pinned down, and that's the idea. It's to box you in, it's to get you in a corner so that the gospel will deal with you. That's, what, that's what's going on here. And so if you guys have these handouts, for those of you who are in here, You'll have these handouts as peacemaking principles. We're going to do a little bit of this. And for you guys that are at home, I emailed it out. Um, so, and if you go to covegracemenifee.org slash live stream, it's there. Or you can check your email, it's there. There's another image we're going to show a little bit later that's really kind of small. You guys could all look that up on your phones while we're doing it. But um, this is a really important ministry tool. I want you all to have these. You guys have been with us for a while, have many of these in your Bible already. But it's an important ministry tool because it's an important part of the church that we equip you for ministry. Because Covenant Grace isn't a church with one pastor. It isn't a church with four pastors. It's a church with a whole body of ministers. There's a whole body of ministers. You guys are called to do the ministry of the church. Pastors are called to equip the ministers of the church. So you guys are the ministers of the church. Ephesians 4 says that. And the job of the pastors is to equip you for ministry, not to do the ministry for you. And so this is going to be a great time of equipping. So if you look on the back here, you're going to see these four promises of forgiveness. These four promises of forgiveness, you can see these verses that are here, are modeled after the gospel. So if you're going to forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you, what it requires is making these four promises. 
Okay, forgiveness is a promise. Here are the four promises. And listen for the echo of the gospel here. This is the way God's forgiven you. First promise, I will not dwell on this incident. So you're not called to forget something. There's no way for you to have amnesia, but you are called to not dwell on it. So when you make the promise you forgive somebody, you're promising that you're going to repent in your mind anytime it comes up, and it's not going to be an item that you dwell on. This is a picture of the gospel because God says that he's put our sin at the depth of the sea. He says it's as far as the east is from the west. He says that it's behind his back and he doesn't look at it. What does that mean? God doesn't forget our sin in the sense that he can't remember it all. He doesn't bring it to mind when he thinks of you. How awesome is that? How many of you guys really believe that? That when you're praying, when you're coming before the Lord, when he thinks of your name, he does not think of the list of sins. He doesn't hold them against you. He doesn't dwell on it. Secondly, if you say you forgive somebody, you're promising, I will not bring this incident up and use it against you. Okay, this is a standard marriage thing, right? I'll forgive you, but I'm going to hold on to that for later, right? No, if forgiveness is I'm not going to bring it up and use it against you. Third, I will not talk to others about the incident. This is a fun one. You know, oh, I forgave her. It's like you talk about it all the time. Like, I don't really think so, you know? Or, uh, and then the fourth one, and it's cool that God doesn't talk to other people about our sin. I will not allow this incident to stand between us and hinder our relationship. So those are the four promises. So if you forgive somebody, you're granting those four promises. Guys, it'd be very worth you memorizing these four. It'd be very worth you teaching these to your kids so that they could learn what actual forgiveness is. It'd be great for you to tell everybody. It'd be great for you to like tattoo it on small print on your forehead. Like this is vitally important. This is one of the huge reasons why we don't really solve conflict the way we should is we don't forgive. And we don't forgive often because we don't know what forgiveness is. The way to reconcile two people. So we have two people in the church, two people in your family that are separated because of the sin against one another. The way to reunite them, the way to reconcile them is to bring them to a place of confession and forgiveness. That's the only way there's peace. There's only true peace where there's true forgiveness. And there's forgiveness when you have confession and granting of forgiveness. You might ask, well, what does confession look like? I'm glad you asked. So take a look right above on your brochure here. The seven days of a confession. This is what confession of sin sounds like when I do it to another person. Now, when I go through these, these are not for you to judge your spouse's confession. You'd be like, Michael, okay, you got two out of seven. Uh, you need to keep going. You know, it's not for that. It's for your own confession. This is for you to judge your own, not other people's, because it's going to be weaponized. Here we go. When you confess, you A, seven A's, address everybody involved. Avoid if, but, or maybe. This one's really important. You know, hey, I'm really sorry about that if it upset you. And she's crying. She clearly upset her. You don't need the if. You say, you know, hey, I'm really sorry I got so angry. But if you wouldn't have, okay, leave out the but. When you confess your sin, you're not confessing their sin. Okay, you're confessing your sin and you're eating dirt. Okay, that's what it means to really confess. And then maybe, you know, I'm sorry if maybe that wasn't the right thing to say. It's like, no, 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 no. That's not the way to do it. Admit specifically. Okay, when you confess your sin, label it as a sin. Okay, so don't say, hey, you know, I'm really sorry. I just haven't been my best for the last 10 years. Okay, that's not specific. Plus, it's not a sin to be not at your best for 10 years. You have to say things like, I am sorry I was angry. I'm sorry that I gossiped about you. I'm sorry I lied. Okay? Because you want forgiveness, right? You can't forget forgiveness for things that aren't sin. Label a sin. Let's get some forgiveness for it. Okay? Acknowledge the hurt. Accept the consequences. Alter your behavior. Ask for forgiveness. That last one's super important. How many times have you been in a situation where you confess your sin, you apologize, and the person says back to you like, oh, it's okay. Don't worry about it. Don't think about it. 
That's not what I want. I want to be released from my debt. I want to be forgiven. And you know what? I am worried about it, or I would have confessed it, right? And it's not okay. You know, it's sin. Please forgive me, right? And so insist on that. Say, no, no, do you forgive me? Will you release me from this? And for us in the church that know what the four promises of forgiveness are, we know what we're getting when they say, I forgive you. Super important to, to really take to that place. As the forgiver, as the person forgiving, let's be the kind of people that make very clear that we actually really did forgive them. Okay? That we actually really are keeping these promises. Really forgive your spouse. No cold shoulder. No silent treatment. God doesn't do that to you. He doesn't say, I forgive you, but I'm really going to be distant for a while. Don't be surprised. God doesn't say that, right? When we forgive, we're no longer distant. With your kids, actually forgive them. I think it's really common for us to, after we discipline them, or if they apologize, you know, we tell them, okay, it's over, but we don't act like it's over. And we need to make that really clear. I remember early on, one of our kids, you know, we disciplined and he came back and was saying, hey, you know, I'm really sorry about that. And I'm like, buddy, it's as if it never happened. That's what forgiveness is. You have a very powerful opportunity to teach about the gospel in your home by really forgiving them and making it clear. So that's the goal. The goal is that we be truly reunited, that we truly forgive. And there's two paths to take on this. The Bible talks about two paths. One of them is the one in Matthew 18 that we looked at. The other one is in Proverbs 19.11. In Proverbs 19.11, it talks about overlooking. So when we go to decide how we're going to pursue forgiveness, we got kind of two paths. And I've got a diagram for this. This is where it gets small. And if you want to look on the website, it's covgracemenifee.org slash livestream. You'll see it there. But I got two paths here. And a laser pointer doesn't work on a TV. Interesting. But you got two paths there. You got one is you could overlook it. The other is you could confront it. What does it mean to overlook? Proverbs 19.11 says this. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Sometimes, instead of confronting a sin, we just forgive the person. Okay, those four promises of forgiveness, we just say, I'm going to make these four promises of forgiveness without bringing it up. Okay, that's what overlooking means. It means I'm going to grant you legitimate forgiveness. You can see that's where it leads down here, making the four promises of forgiveness here. The other option would be to confront it. Okay, sometimes we need to actually confront that sin. How do we know which? How do we know which one to do? How do we know if we should overlook the sin? If we're going to overlook the sin, we're going to grant them the promises of forgiveness without even bringing it up. How do we know whether we should do that or not? Well, I would start with saying, if the person's committed a crime against you, such as physical violence, physical abuse, something like that, that's not something to overlook. That's something to call the police about. That's something that the authorities are for. Romans 13 says the police are God's ministers of justice. Okay? That's the minister you need in that situation. You need your pastor... But you also need the minister of justice for something like that. So we don't overlook that kind of thing. Okay, so let's assume it's not a crime. We should ask the question, is this habitual destructive sin? What do I mean by that? Is this something that is destroying their life? Is this something that is destroying their relationships? Is this something that harms their witness in the community? So in other words, it's not a slip up. This isn't, you know, a one-time thing. This is something in their lives that's actively destructive. Now, of course, all sin's destructive, right? But there are sins that are repetitive, habitual, that destroy relationships and your witness in the community. We need to confront that. So it says, is it habitual destructive sin? Yes, arrow goes up to confront, right? Go, no. I made this diagram, by the way. I know you guys are impressed. Okay, it is small, though. And I would have drawn it, but it would have been illegible. So no, go down. Next question is, can I promise the four promises of forgiveness now? If the answer is yes, then we should just do that. We should just forgive it. If the answer is no, 
you're going to be bitter, you're going to harbor it, then you need to confront them. Sometimes people will think that they overlook sin a lot in the biblical sense, but they don't. They're just so afraid of conflict that they kind of harbor it and they get bitter. Guys, beware of bitterness. Bitterness is unforgiveness. Bitterness is poison. Some of us are more likely to take bitterness in as that poison. You know, they say that bitterness is a poison that you take into yourself hoping to harm another, right? That's an old saying. And some of us are very prone to doing that. We don't like conflict. We don't like going after it. So we just get bitter. Bitterness is poison. Bitterness is a trap. In um, South Africa, Nelson Mandela, when he was unjustly imprisoned for 27 years, Nelson Mandela, in prison for 27 years, the day he came out, he said this, as I walked out that door towards the gate that would lead to my freedom, I knew if I didn't leave my bitterness and hatred behind, I'd still be in prison. Right? Bitterness is a sign that we haven't truly forgiven and that we need to confront. So can't, can't make those promises, aren't doing a very good job at keeping them, need to confront. Okay? So then let's talk about that part. So if you need to confront a brother or a sister, it's really cool. Jesus has, has laid out a beautiful little sketch of how to do this. Okay? And it's in Matthew 18, 15. And I love what he does here because it's, for you know, we're going to confront the person alone. If that doesn't work, we're going to confront with help. If that doesn't work, we're going to confront with the church, with the pastors. What's neat about what Jesus put here is that he wants to keep our sin as small as possible for as long as possible. Like he wants as few people to know about it as possible for as long as possible. Or more people get involved only when it doesn't get reconciled, which is a beautiful thing. Isn't that the way you want to be treated? You know, sometimes if we're sinned against, we go and we tell everybody we know. You know, that's not Jesus' plan. Jesus' plan is that we treat him the way we want to be treated. Keep it as small as possible for as long as possible. Take a look at verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens, you've gained your brother. Super cool. I love that you have gained your brother. The goal of confronting someone is not retaliation or even ventilation. It's what? It's reconciliation. It's, I want to gain my brother. I want to get this person back. I want to gain my sister. I want to win him back. I want to be reunited. So when we confront somebody, the whole point is, I want to be reunited with you. Sin separated us. I want, to be, I want to give forgiveness, and I want to be reconciled. And guys, if we have that heart, it changes the whole flavor of the encounter. And so make sure you have that heart before you do it, right? Come, you want to win your brother. You want to win your sister. So many conflicts, guys, could be resolved by this very simple approach. I mean, when Jesus says here, this isn't like, oh, wow, this is crazy. This is amazing. I never would have thought of this. It's simple, but we don't do it. <laughs> it's beautiful, simple wisdom, but we don't do it. If that doesn't work, uh, the next thing that we're called to do is, is get help. So second one doesn't work. We're going to go, okay, we're going to confront with help. And look at what the goal is. The goal here in all these is to get to confession and get to forgiveness. That's the goal in this whole thing is I want to be reconciled. I want to be reunited with you. Sometimes we need help. Take a look at verse 16. But if he doesn't listen, take one or two along with you that, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Sometimes this is called conflict coaching. The idea is that two people, they can't reconcile things. So what do they do? They get another wise person in the church to help. And this is something we do in the church. And this is in Philippians. Paul actually talks to Yudia and Syntyche and says, hey, I want you guys to get along. And, and he mentions the name of another believer in there and says, hey, will you help them? 
You know, will you help them to reconcile? And so sometimes we need other believers to help us. And um, I did a little training on this a few years ago. They're, the ministry that makes that brochure, they had this like mediation conflict coaching, like three-day thing. And I was like, that'll be fun. So I go to this thing and um, it's role-playing the whole time, which I'm not, a, I wasn't a drama major. Like I'm a science guy. It's not my thing. It was awful. Okay, it was terrible, but it was super helpful too because they, they said, okay, here's what you do. You got these people and they're not getting along. Here's what we do. Sit them down. We explain the goals. We explain that we're trying to get to confession and forgiveness. That's where we're trying to go. That's where this whole thing's trying to go is to that place. And then we hear them out and, and we help them to listen to each other, right? And to understand each other. And we see how they respond. And if they're not ready to go confession, forgiveness right now, or it would be really forced, then it's like, okay, then we'll meet up again. And what do you do in the meantime? You contact each one of them, and you say things like, you try and coach them. You say, hey, did you hear how that hurt her? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you think maybe you could ask for forgiveness for that next time? Uh, yeah, I really should. Yeah, you should. You totally should. Okay? And you talk to the other person. Hey, did you see how he kind of admitted that sin, and he kind of admitted, yeah, you know, wasn't that nice to hear that? Yeah, it was kind of refreshing to hear that. It wasn't really a full apology, but, you know, I said, yeah, yeah. The, that, you know, if he were to ask for forgiveness next time, would you forgive him? Maybe you should look over what forgiveness is. Let's think about it. It's coaching, right? Or you say to the other person, you say, hey, I'm not really sure you understood what she was saying. Let me tell you what I heard. That we're coaching, then we bring them back together, see how it goes. We just keep doing this till it works. And eventually it works, right? And I've used this in, with some of you guys in the church. I've used this at work. But this is, we don't have to be afraid of conflict in the church. The Bible provides us all the wisdom we need. Amen? It's sufficient for this. We don't have to be afraid of it. So when somebody in this church sins against you, when, not if, when they do, don't just slink away to another church. That's what we do a lot of times in our area. In the Bible times, like, there was like one church in town, so it was like kind of you were stuck. You just sit there, opposite ends, bitter, you know, or something like that. But here you can move away. Now, it's not wrong to leave a church, go to another church. It is wrong to do it because you can't forgive people. Okay? So, Let's work that out, and then if you still want to go, go. But, like, you don't go hating that person, right? And you don't kind of build up a habit of not solving unforgiveness issues that you have. So let's mediate it. Guys, that's a far more God-glorifying story, amen? It was like, ah, you know, they sinned against me. I couldn't stand them. I left. It's like, cool, that's a win for the team. No, that's not a win for the team at all. What does it say about the gospel? What does it say about the Holy Spirit? What does it say about us? It's not glorifying to do that. Let's, let's work it out. Okay, if that doesn't work, the next step is, it says, tell the church. And what it means by that is, get involvement of the church leadership, and, you know, more pressure can be put to bear on this. Um, there are situations where there's severe sin by professing Christians, where they're totally unwilling to follow Jesus. Okay, so we're not, like, doing this all the time. We're doing this only in severe situations where professing Christians totally unwilling to follow Christ. That's what you see in verses 17 through 21. And in those cases, the pastors get involved, and it can end with them being removed from membership in the church. And that's a whole message in itself, which I'm happy to do, but it's reunited series, it didn't really fit. But there are situations where you do have to do that. And let me just assure you guys that that's only the last resort for very serious issues where people are destroying their lives and their families, okay? These are severe issues. Uh, nobody gets kicked out of the church for, like, silly things, right? These are, and these are things that God commands. So forgiveness. Forgiveness, guys, is a promise. But wouldn't you guys say that forgiveness is not just a promise, but is a very painful process? How many of you guys believe forgiveness can be a painful process? 
painful process. This is something they don't tell you, right? <laughs> Make it sound like you just forgive them, right? When some people hear the gospel for the first time and they hear about the cross, I've had multiple people say, why does God do it that way? Why doesn't he just forgive me? You know, why the cross? Why all this pain? Why did he have to go through all this pain to forgive me? Why does he just forgive me if he wants to forgive me? But guys, we know those of us who have forgiven great sin, we know how painful it is to forgive. There isn't just forgive for things that are really painful, right? For things that really hurt us. To forgive, guys, is to absorb the pain of another person's sin without dishing it back to them. So when you forgive great sin, it will hurt. That hurt is the hurt you're not throwing at the other person, right? You're absorbing the pain that your sin causes without dishing it back to them. And guys, it's a beautiful reflection of the cross, isn't it? Where God absorbed the pain of our sin without dishing it back to us. And that's why forgiveness is so fundamental to Christianity. True forgiveness, guys, is a painful process. It's a kind of crucifixion. Uh, Tim Keller put it this way, everyone who forgives great evil goes through a death into resurrection. I love the death into resurrection part because there is a place where, you know, it doesn't hurt like it used to hurt, right? But he says, everyone who forgives great evil goes through a death into resurrection and experiences the nails and the blood and the sweat and the tears. And guys, this is super important to say because sometimes we assume that we can only forgive when it doesn't hurt anymore, which is a little late, <laughs> okay? It's a little late and may never come, right? We forgive even when it hurts a ton still. We also need to remind ourselves of this because we can feel the hurt still and assume we're not forgiving, which is also not true. It is a painful process. If it hurts, you very well could be granting all four of these promises of forgiveness. As true forgiveness is a promise and a painful process. When you grant these four promises of forgiveness, you're not doing it because you think you've come to a point where you could do this on your own. You're not like, oh, yeah, I feel like I can do that now. No, no, that's not, that's not what it's about. You make these four promises of forgiveness in faith that in the weeks and months and years to come, Jesus will be with you to help you keep these, okay? You're doing it trusting God that his spirit is going to so move in you to enable you to do this. And, and when you make these promises of forgiveness, when you start to dwell on it, when you start to feel tempted to bring it up and use it against someone else, or you start to, it starts to creep in your relationship, or you want to talk about it, what you're called to do before the Lord, because you made this promise before the Lord, is go, Lord, give me the strength to do this. Help me. I need your spirit to work here. I forgave this years ago, and now I just feel like it's coming back up. Lord, please help me to keep these. You have the power to do this in my heart. And Christ often gives that strength by making the gospel more real to our hearts. Amen? That's the path. Take a look at verse 21 in Matthew 18. Peter came up to him and said, Lord, how often must I forgive my brother when he sins against me? As many as seven times? Thinks he's being generous, right? A lot of you wouldn't give seven. Like Peter's doing pretty good here, right? Seven. Nope, not seven. Um, Jesus says, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. There's some translations have 70 times seven. Either way, the point is that there's not an end point, okay? And Peter must have looked desperate. I mean, Peter knows how hard it is to forgive. Jesus knows how hard it is to forgive, right? And, and notice how Jesus helps Peter get the strength to forgive. He tells him a story. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but Jesus is amazing at stories, and he's amazing at very short stories, guys, that totally get in your heart and, like, change everything around. It's amazing. He's like, he's like, Peter, I hear you. It's very hard to forgive. Let me tell you a story. And so it's in verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wishes to settle accounts with his servants. 
And as he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered that he be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had, that payment might be made. So the servant fell on his knees and implored him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him his debt. But when the same servant went out and found another fellow servant who owed him a hundred denarii, he seized him and began to choke him saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him and said, have patience with me and I will pay you. And he refused and he put him, he went and put him in prison that he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants heard what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summons him and said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all your debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, the master delivered him to the jailer that he should pay all his debt. So also will my heavenly father do to each one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. And this story doesn't grasp us the way it would have Peter because we need to do a little bit of math. So a talent, it's a really weird unit of money. A talent was 20 years wages, okay? 20 years wages. So we're thinking about the the first servant, what he was forgiven. It's it's 20 years wages and there was 10,000 of them. Okay, he just got forgiven 200,000 years wages, Okay, so it's like, it's an impossible debt to pay. And that's the point. Like, no master is going to loan his servant 200,000 years wages, right? The whole point is that this is an unpayable debt. This is, no way he's going to pay it. The other one, the denarii, was a year's wage. So the servant owed that, the, the second servant that came on the scene, owed the first servant 100 days wage. That's a lot. I mean, you think of a third of your yearly income. That's a big debt. But would you guys agree? That's nothing compared to 200,000 years wages. Okay, so what Jesus is doing is he's saying, he's not saying it's a tiny debt that, you, that other people have with you. He's not saying that at all. He's saying that compared to the debt you have with God, it's tiny. Okay, I think that's really important for us to see. Um, It's a debt, guys, that we have. It's pointing to the debt that we have before God that we could never pay. When his servant says, have patience with me and I'll pay you everything, he's delusional. He can't. There's no way. And it's as delusional as you thinking that somehow through your good works, you could earn salvation. It'd be like paying off a 200,000-year wage. And it also points to the whole concept of, like, why is hell forever? And people go like, you know, I don't understand why hell could be forever. You know, how could even 80 years worth of sin warrant a forever um, punishment? But guys, this, this points to that because that, it's a debt that's never paid. The reason why hell doesn't end is because the debt's never paid. There's no way to pay it. And so what you have here, it's really amazing, is the, the master, he refuses to put this guy on a payment plan. He doesn't put him on a payment plan. He doesn't do a loan modification. He doesn't do any of that. He just lets him off totally. And that's what the gospel's like, guys. I don't know if you've realized this, but the gospel is a complete release from your debt. Not to put you on a payment plan, not to somehow have you work it off. Religions at best put you on a payment plan. The gospel is a free gift paid for by Jesus. And that's why when he refuses to forgive his fellow servant, it's so horrifying. Take a look at verse 31. It says, the other servants were greatly distressed. Are you greatly distressed? Are you greatly distressed when you see two believers that won't forgive one another and yet also claim that they have been totally spared hell? Are you greatly distressed? You should be greatly distressed. Are you greatly distressed when you won't forgive somebody and yet claim that you got off scot-free for all your sin, that you got heaven for free? We should be greatly distressed. 
Guys, when we won't forgive one another, it's a gospel amnesia. We've totally forgotten how we were saved, right? And the master hears it, and he throws him in prison until he should pay every bit. And of course, that's a picture of hell. It's something that's never going to be paid off. Now, let's remember why he told the story. Jesus told this story because Peter asked how many times he should forgive. Peter's seeing how hard that is, and Jesus is saying, let me help you. And the way he helps him is by showing him the gospel. Shows him the beauty of the gospel. He's like, you've been forgiven all your sin. You can forgive your brother. The amazing thing is, guys, is that no one could ever pay that debt of sin. And yet Jesus claimed to pay it, right? Jesus claimed to somehow pay the debt of sin, not for himself, but for us. And then he proves it by being raised from the dead. He is that master that can grant you total forgiveness. And I just asked this morning, have you received that? Some of you guys maybe have been in church all your life. Some of you guys maybe this first time you're in church. Some of you guys on live stream, a friend shared the link with you or something like that. And you've had maybe some religious experience or maybe you've had none. But have you received that forgiveness, that free forgiveness? It's simple. It's as simple as what we talked about. You get reunited with God by confessing your sin, repenting of your sin, and receiving his forgiveness. It's not something you need to work off. It's not something that you need to in any way earn. You trust in Jesus, and you walk out of there with your debt completely paid. Just like that first servant. You walk out with it completely paid. And not only that, not just that, like you walk out there, but you walk out there with God as your father in a new relationship with him and him enabling you to forgive others in your life. And that's a gift. And and the point of this story, guys, is not somehow that Jesus is saying, you know, that you can lose your salvation if you don't forgive other people. That's not what it's about. What it's about is your willingness to forgive others shows whether you've really experienced the exhilarating feeling of having your entire debt removed by Jesus. That's what it's about. It's about how much do we get the gospel. And that's why Jesus requires us to forgive other people. You know, what I started with. It's because that's the way you were saved. I mean, if you were saved by earning your own way, then you could make other people do that. If you were saved by like, you know, you come to Jesus and he goes, okay, cool. You know, you're saved, but you're going to be on a payment plan. Then you know what? You could do that for other people. You could put them on payment plans. And it'd be a beautiful illustration of the, the gospel you believe, that you were saved by a repayment plan. And so you put other people on repayment plans, right? But that's not the way we were saved, We were saved by our debt being totally taken away. And so the way that we show the gospel in our lives is by not putting people on repayment plans, but by giving them free grace, the kind of free grace that we earned. If you're a Christian this morning and there's somebody in your life that you haven't forgiven, it's time, okay? It's time to at least head down that process, you know? It's time to at least, if you need to confront that person, you confront them. If, there, if there's no way to be reconciled with them, you know, by confronting them or talking with them or whatever, then you need to just come before the Lord and go, Lord, help me to really put this away. Help me to really put this away. It, it's a debt you need to cancel. I mean, we can't live, guys, choking other people out in our minds and saying, pay me what you owe. Can't live like that. C.S. Lewis said, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable Because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. He's forgiven your inexcusable. He's forgiven my inexcusable. He's forgiven my ongoing inexcusable. Which is unexplainable. (laughs) It's crazy. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we thank you for that gift. We thank you for that gift of forgiveness. We thank you that our whole debt of sin, if we're trusting in Jesus, our whole debt of sin... Our whole rap sheet, as it says in Colossians, was nailed to the cross and we bear it no more. That those sins that we 
still will think of and feel guilty for and have our conscience burdened about are not things that you think of. Lord, we thank you that your response to us is that that you can't even remember what we're trying to forget. Your forgiveness has been utter and complete for us. And we pray, Lord, help us by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the power of the gospel, help us to give that to other people. Lord, help us to overlook where we need to overlook. Father, help us to confront where we need to confront. For those situations like Paul talked about in Romans 12, that as much as is possible with you, be at peace with all men. There's some things we just can't, can't confront anymore. Can't, the person's not even alive anymore. The person's not in our lives anymore. And yet we tend to just continue to grind it over in our minds. We pray, Lord, free us from that. Even during worship, Lord, this is something that you have and can free all of us from just this morning as we worship you, as we take the Lord's Supper, that we would just feel it go away, that you would take it away, as you make the cross big in our minds, as big as it should be, that we would just feel that, that bitterness melt away, that we no longer nurse those grudges. We pray, Lord, for those who are with us in here or with us via live stream that don't know you. We pray, Lord, that they'd be so attracted by the offer of free grace that they would take it today. There's no reason for us to continue to carry around our burden of sin when you said, I can take it. And so we pray, Lord, for true repentance. We pray for true faith. We pray, Lord, as a church that we'd be a church that's reunited, a church of love and forgiveness for one another. We pray, Lord, we wouldn't be afraid of conflict, but that we deal with it biblically. We pray, Lord, as we worship and take the Lord's Supper, we pray, Lord, that you continue to feed us as you fed us in your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The, the Lord's Supper is a retelling of Christ's promise to forgive us. He gives us this physical reminder that our sin is paid for, that our debt is removed. And we need that, don't we? We don't just need to hear it. We need to see it. We need to feel it. We need to taste it. The Heidelberg Catechism question uh, 75 says this. The question is, what does the Lord's Supper remind and assure you that you share in Christ's one sacrifice on the cross and in all his gifts? And the answer is this. In this way, Christ has commanded me and all believers to eat this broken bread and drink this cup. With this command, he gave this promise. First, as surely as I see with my eyes the bread of the Lord broken for me, and as sure as I see with my eyes the cup given, so surely his body was offered for me and broken for me, and his blood was poured out for me on the cross. As we take this, we're, we're making a statement. We're saying, I believe Jesus was broken on the cross for my sin. And as we take the cup, we're saying the same thing. And then secondly, as surely as I receive from the hand of the one who serves and taste with my mouth the bread and the cup that the Lord has given, he has given me a sure sign that Christ's body and blood so surely nourish and refresh my soul for eternal life with his crucified body and his poured out blood. So this is a way also that he nourishes us and feeds us and makes us able to do the things he's commanded. For parents, make sure that this is appropriate for your kids. If you're trusting in Jesus Christ, we invite you to take it with us. Let's start with the bread. Now hear the voice of your Savior. This is my body broken for you. 
Take and eat in remembrance of me. Let's take it together. Father, as we, as that bread is crushed under the weight of our teeth, we remember that Jesus was crushed for us. That your full justice crushed him on the cross. That your full justice has been satisfied. We thank you, Jesus, that you willingly gave your body to be crushed for us. You said, no one takes my life from me. I have authority to lay it down or authority to bring it up again. And we thank you that you laid your life down. Holy Spirit, we thank you for empowering that work of Christ. As he went up that mountain, it was nailed for us. Let's take the cup. Now hear the voice of your Savior. And hear it as his voice. In the same manner, he took the cup. This is the new covenant in my blood. Pour it out for your sin. Drink this in remembrance of me. Let's take the cup. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus' blood. His blood can wash the foulest clean. And Lord, those of us who know our own hearts would say that we are the foulest in this room. And yet we know ourselves to be utterly clean by the blood of Jesus. Lord, help us to go out into life with that confidence. That though we are great sinners, we are greatly loved and our sin has been utterly covered by the blood of Jesus. We thank you for that, Lord. Help us to worship as those who have this good news and help us to go out into the world and share it. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can email us at info at May the Lord bless your week and guide your steps.